Isn't there a children's book about an elephant named Babar? Um, I, I don't know. I don't have any. No children? No elephant books. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing, digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We look forward to sharing a lot of great information, having a little bit of fun along the way. I'm Reed Smith, and of course, on the other side of the microphone is Chris Boyer. And if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time and don't know how to find us online, you're not trying hard enough. But if it's your first time, you can find him at ChristopherBoyer.com and Chris Boyer on most of the popular social media channels out there. And I recommend you follow him and engage with him as he spends his days and weeks talking with hospitals and healthcare systems. How's it going, man? Pretty good, Reed. Nice to talk to you this morning. That's Reed Smith, and he also can be found online with his name, Reed Smith, R-E-E-D Smith. Uh, his website is socialhealthinstitute.com, and Reed is also really good on all of those social channels. You might want to follow him on LinkedIn because he has a really good active LinkedIn uh, communication out there. He asks questions, he posts some really good stuff. I would really recommend that strongly. But um, Reed is a digital marketing expert for hospitals and health systems as well. And uh, I, I'm proud to call him a colleague, a friend, and also someone that I learn a lot from. So Reed, thanks for being here on the podcast today. This episode of Touchpoint is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Transparently. Transparently is the nation's fastest growing platform for gathering and publishing physician star ratings and reviews. You can visit transparently.com to learn why the country's most innovative health systems are choosing them to power a better digital patient experience. Again, to learn more, visit them online at transparently.com. All right, so... Can online experiences have a positive impact on quality and health and, and health outcomes? Jumping right in there. Yeah, that's our topic today. Yes. Can they? Can, can online experiences, online, not in person, online, have a positive impact? Well, I read the way you're, you're asking that question. It seems like there maybe is a little bit of a debate or a discussion about this that we, we might want to dive deep into today. I guess the short answer is yes. Yes, it can. You know, thanks for joining us. That'll be all for this week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess initially you have to kind of think through or think about when you talk about hospitals and health systems, you know, there's a lot of talk about improving quality. And that means different things, I guess. So quality outcomes, I guess, could even mean, you know, we think about clinical quality outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I guess there's different ways to think about that, whether it's regulatory, uh, financial. Well, you're, you're indeed right. I mean, a lot of times when we talk about quality in healthcare, we're talking about outcome measurements, but there's a lot of different measures and, and benchmarks that are being used um, in healthcare that are really focused on a lot of different aspects to improve. I actually I have a link to a site that's the NCBI site, the National Center for Biotechnology Information. 
Wow. Interesting. They actually go really deep on trying to define measures and benchmarks. And we'll add that to the podcast notes. But the whole point here is outcomes, measurement of outcomes is really focusing on a, a couple of factors, making sure that, you know, that we're actually getting to that outcome that we're looking for, the health outcome in that particular case, mm-hmm. but also looking for other intended improvements in the overall delivery system. That's another health come outcome yeah. measurement. And then anything else that might be able to be preventative or work to try to keep the overall health outcome sustainable. What they're really getting at is like prior preventative care or post post-care compliance with their care. So, you know, measure, you have to measure it across all of these three different things. And so in healthcare, that becomes really important for organizations to do that. So these are things like, and, and I guess when we're talking about the actual measurement, right, we're not talking about, you know, we're, we're not digging into the quality, uh, like the clinical piece of that. This is the, you know, this is actually the measurement of, you know, so you start thinking about like HCAP scores or your CAP surveying system or, you start looking at uh, satisfaction scoring of employees, even mm-hmm. uh, our mm-hmm. physicians. Patient population is more on the age cap side, of course. So yeah, I mean this this is an interesting thought, and and we've seen some of this, and and I'll just kind of throw this out there. This is probably another topic for another day. But I was involved with a healthcare system where we, where we were, uh, or I was spending a lot of time with them as they uh, pursued the uh, Malcolm Baldrige Quality Award. And so, you know, that's a quality outcome score. I mean, that's that's a quality uh, benchmark, if you will, uh, by winning that award. And social media has crept into those kind of submission questions, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's asking questions like, how are you using you know, digital and online, you know, technologies to basically survey your audience or, you know, retrieve information from those that use your services. Because this isn't a healthcare thing. It's, you know, anybody can apply for this uh, particular Mm -hmm. award. And so it's like, how are you getting information? Then how are you using that information to change a process? And I'm not surprised by that, Reed, because, you know, digital, as we've talked about, is pervasive in every aspect now of everything that we do. And, and digital can be kind of greatly defined. We'll, we'll get a, a little deeper. We'll dig into how to maybe put some restrictions or guardrails around digital because obviously everyone uses computers to process care. But what we're talking about here is is something that, you know, um, healthcare quality outcomes, the improvement of quality is a critical part of how we do it. We're getting paid that way. We're being regulated that way. And, you know, the, the other thing that we haven't really talked about, Reed, is that a lot of us are in this business because we we feel compelled to do this because we want to help, right? We, it's, we feel like it's the right thing to do. Well, I mean, yeah, you hope so. I mean, you hope that's why, you know, ho- hopefully that's the motivating factor for everybody. I, you know, and I think some of the, some of this other stuff shakes itself out, you know, if you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I like to be in this space and I could apply my digital to any other industry. But this industry, you know, for me, it's it's personal. I want to make sure that the work I do actually has some kind of meaning or some kind of some kind of outcome. And, you know, I talk a lot about ROI, but I, I used to say and I still say that ROI is a great, important measurement when we're doing digital. But I'm all about ROH, return on health. And that's really, to me, the the, the uber measurement of what, what I try to do with digital. What do you mean by return on health? 
Well, that the work that we're doing on digital is impacting the ultimate health outcomes, either in, you know, in, in keeping the communities healthy, you know, making sure the systems are working in a healthy way. I'm actually looking for ultimately the ability for us to say this digital action has improved and saved people's lives. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think that's an interesting metric. I think that's an interesting place to try to be. And I think if you, again, if you're doing that, then probably the ROI takes care of itself. Now, you know, probably some of these things are more like micro measurements along the way to make sure we're ultimately getting to ROH, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So why don't we talk through, you know, um, maybe putting some parameters or guidelines around the different high level ways digital can help improve quality. And so, you know, maybe, maybe this little structure that we'll put together here can kind of help people start to put their, wrap their brain around how digital can be used to begin to measure the improvement of outcomes. Okay. So I think first, so as we think about that, if we're talking about how it improves quality kind of along that continuum, you know, let's maybe at the high, at the high level, just hit on what is the continuum or the patient journey. Now this obviously changes, you know, and we're, we're not, we're not going to dig, you know, too terribly deep into a particular service line, obviously. So mm-hmm. some of this changes based on, um, you know, what type of care you're receiving, if it was something that was planned and it's an elective versus, you know, something that's more of a chronic illness versus an episodic, like an ER visit or whatever. But at a very high level, you're looking at, uh, you know, preventative type care, and then you're looking at facilitating care. Uh, so actually somebody needing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have post care uh, type outreach and, and that type of thing. And then, and then research. So this is stuff that, you know, research may kind of interweave itself throughout a lot of this preventative may, you know, find itself coming back in at the back end of some of these, uh, kind of pathways. But in any case, those are kind of the four big buckets, uh, we want to talk through. Absolutely. So let's dive into the first one, which is preventative. And notice we're saying preventative, and it sounds like we're, we're following the customer journey. But Reed and I, along the way, we're going to talk about how this impacts other audiences, like physicians referral audiences as well. But from a pre- preventative perspective, what we're talking about are things like, you know, looking at community health, wellness initiatives, or even some structured population health initiatives, you know, ways that we're actually as health institutions trying to keep the communities healthy and active, sharing good information, giving them resources so they can actually, um, you know, make their own decisions in their day-to-day life. Uh, you know, in, in effect, some people have said, you know, keeping them out of the hospital. Yeah. And I would even put in there, um, you know, maybe your employer strategy uh, is in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that, you know, if you have some large employers in town, some of that preventative and information um, you know, kind of interlaces with that wellness initiative that you mentioned. You know, how are you uh, disseminating information and resources into those organizations to potentially keep them from coming to the hospital, to the ER? You know, it could be screenings, uh, could be some online tools, could be in person, a combination of the two. You think of your intranet that you have within your hospital, your organization. You know, some people set up experiences or kind of closed, whether it be Facebook groups or more of a web. Uh, installation for those large employers to provide them with resources. 
That's right. And when we talk about like digital in this respect, right? So now what we're talking about is creating these portals, these websites, um, you know, information that's that's shared digitally, uh, almost like patient education, but maybe not even patient education, just health education in general. Uh, and, and a lot of times we see this manifest in like videos. We see this happen with online interactive tools, ways that you can, you know, test to see if you're at risk for something. And if you are, yeah. get some good information. And social media plays a big role here. I, I see a lot of organizations use social media in this space. Sure, yeah. I mean, and, and that kind of filters into blogging as well, or maybe content creation in general. It could be video, it could be written word, uh, whatever that is, and, and being disseminated out. And so you already have a lot of your, your experts ending up on the local news talking about the flu season or back to school or traveling during the holidays or healthy eating or whatever it may be. And all that stuff fits into this category of, you know, we're trying to provide resources uh, to the community uh, to help them in their in their daily journey, if you will. When we think about like, you know, how does that impact quality? Well, some of the ways that you can kind of look at that and, and measure towards that is saying, well, we've had X number of people participate in this particular study, and maybe we led them to a flu shot or a health clinic or something along those lines. Those are really kind of good firm measurements that you can have. It's really hard to kind of measure when they're not engaged with your health system. So in this case, you have to look kind of creatively about, you know, you're at the high level of the funnel of measurement. You're talking about awareness, how many people it's reaching, and maybe over long term, you could start to measure the impact it has on the overall care of your community. So one thing, uh, you know, I'll just mention this, and this kind of bleeds into our next one about actually facilitating the care pathway. But, you know, we've recently done um, with one of my, my business partners led this charge, but uh, Bobby Ratu that's been on the podcast historically, but over in South Carolina, they did a uh, they did a campaign around stroke awareness. So everybody's heard the acronym FAST, uh, you know, how to identify when someone's having a stroke. Uh, and they've run this, and now they're starting to go back and look at, well, what impact did this have? You know, did we see 911 calls go up in the counties which this ran in South Carolina? Did we see, um, you know, what did it do in the, to ER visits or those types of things? And so were we able to impact you know, that type of a scenario. So in this case, we're talking about stroke, but it could be um, around if you're doing a proper life jacket uh, education and fitting, you know, at the beginning of the summer. Are we seeing less child and infant drowning or potential drowning cases coming in? And, you know, it's going to take a while to correlate a lot of that. And I don't know that you can necessarily tie a one-to-one on that, but Mm -hmm. you can look at you know, what you've seen over maybe a couple of cycles uh, after you've started like some of these education efforts, for example. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Reed. The next area that we're going to, we should dive into here is f- how does this facilitate care or help those people that are now in that care pathway, so to speak? Yep. So initially when we're just, uh, you know, trying to get information out there, people are a little more passive. Uh, now we've got people that are actually looking for stuff and, and needing information. And so this is where, you know, from a marketing perspective, at least, your Google AdWords or, you know, uh, Google AdWords specifically, and then even some of your targeted paid efforts, you know, on social uh, and things like that kind of weave in. You know, you're putting messages in front of people on the search side that are actively looking for it. Um, and so, you know, that, that's a way that you're trying to help people 
arrive at a destination that can help them. Good SEO, a lot of different things that you can do to actually bring them there. And then once they're there digitally, they come to your website or to whatever that, that may be, then at that particular point, you have to really focus in on access and how do you give them the information they need to help make that healthcare choice. Uh, at a certain point in time, if they have to make a decision to further engage with your health system, then you're talking about patient access. So a lot of the things we've talked about before here are, are in this place. Finding a doctor, that's a really clear one. Or maybe reaching out to contact a nurse or using a mobile health or telehealth service to to start to engage for care. These are, you know, anything that we could do to help improve that access online. And coincidentally, these are really good things that we could use to measure how successful those things are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the one that's, you know, starting to come down the pipe and we're seeing a little bit more of it is AI, you know, artificial intelligence type driven metrics. So Again, we're trying to take you know more and more off of the consumer and make sure that they find what they need when they need it. Um, and so the easiest way to do that is not have them land on your homepage, which that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother, whole nother podcast. Um, well, and then also read once they make that appointment or they make like some kind of commitment to their care. How do you give them the information that they need? What to expect when you're, you know, you're coming in for care? How do you prepare before you actually do this procedure, this test? You know, these are things that typically when people make appointments with the, with a hospital or a health system or a clinic or whatever, that they, they, they told on the phone, well, this is what you need to do. Well, now digital is being used in that regard where you can get their email address, send them reminders, reminders of their appointments, reminders of how to stay compliant, what they, what they need to bring to the hospital that day. Um, you know, yep. when they have to stop eating, those sorts of things. That really helps a lot with the care. Yeah, absolutely. And I you know, maybe we'll have them on sometime, but uh, I've got a good friend that, that has a piece of technology here in Austin where they do a lot of that communication. And they've been able to measure, uh, let's take bariatric surgery, for example, uh, because of the way they're able to measure of what they send out, the, the information that they send and, and know whether you read it or opened it and, you know, those types of things, they were able to head off the amount of people that show up with uh, food in their stomach the day of surgery, right? And so now we're able to, to measure, you know, the amount of times that that has happened versus historically happened. And then what did that save us uh, on room prep and an anesthesiologist, basically an OR suite that just goes to waste. It's a very, uh, th- that one's a very easy one to, uh, to measure if you've got a few tools in place. Yeah, a lot of healthcare marketers spend a lot of time here trying to improve and optimize that whole experience. But then when they actually come in for care and, and the care is administered, however it is, maybe an office visit, maybe they come in for a procedure, maybe they come in for a surgery and they spend some time in your hospital through admitted through an ED. After they, they have that care treatment, post-care becomes sort of a challenge. And I've heard many in many organizations, marketing is kind of splintered away from post-care communication because, you know, there's this HIPAA kind of consideration, right? Right. So some of the tools that we're using at the front end to be engaged and connect with them and remind them of things, those very same tools can be used afterwards for care, but now they're used by different people. There's obviously, uh, if you really kind of dig into it, there's financial reasons you don't want people coming back to the hospital. Not to mention, they, the person, don't want to come back to the hospital, right? So right. they have a procedure done and go home. They don't want to come back. They don't want to have issues and come back. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty logical. And so both sides are motivated, 
right? The hospital's motivated financially. The patient is motivated from a just like, I, you know, don't want to go do that again. Like I would like to get better, you know, standpoint. So how do we, you know, how do we participate and facilitate conversation in that, in that space? Well, and this is where, you know, patient portals come into play and having communication through your patient portal. We, we obviously need to optimize that in that, in that whole, we've talked about that in one of our earlier episodes, but that becomes an important part of this conversation here. How do you communicate with them afterwards? You know, do you want to send them emails? Do you want to send them messages through the patient portal, whatever it might be? Well, I think everything has to come through that EMR right now. Right. That's that's kind of how the compliance works. But here it's about, you know, it's it's uh, it's reminding them of follow up care. And sometimes like even if they maybe show up at your urgent care and they have a they have a particular thing that they need to diagnose and then they have to move on to somewhere else, move them to a different location for the follow up care. That's a really hard thing to ask sometimes with people in the community. And so it becomes really important to kind of communicate with them through that post care process. But there's one thing that we're missing, Reed. What do you think it is that we're missing about post care communication? Hmm. Well, I think we're we're missing a lot of things, but I think the most logical scenario there is, so you start thinking about it, you, know, you always hear like, especially in sales, it's easier to retain, you know, a current customer versus, you know, find new ones. And so, you know, not that we want, you know, people coming back that don't need to come back, but you do want to create some level of engagement and loyalty. Right. From, from a word of mouth marketing standpoint. So you want them to tell their friends, family, neighbors, you know, kind of a deal, coworkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, again, d- don't think about this in, in relation to like bariatrics or joint replacement necessarily, but think about it as like a young family. Like they're going to need a number of things over the course of their life in your community, whether it's childbirth, pediatrics, you know, dad needs some, you know, orthopedic procedure, you know, you kind of go down the list, ER visits, etc. I just did this webinar last week with the advisory board. I kind of mentioned it before in this podcast. But one of the things that's really interesting is that as we're measuring patient loyalty in a community, it's not as loyal as we always thought it was, right? It's it, people, there's so many different ways that people could get care now. And a lot of times, as you've mentioned often, Reed, is that people are making choices based on convenience uh, and what's easier for them. Anything we could do to help improve sort of that whole care pathway helps to build that loyalty so that they come back to your to utilize your services the variety of services that you have and you know in this day and age where everything is so competitive that becomes critical all right and then uh, after post care we move you know kind of into this this one is probably overarching for some for some folks it may be a standalone piece because I don't know, they work in this field or something like that. But for a lot of folks, especially with uh, more of a chronic condition, this may be something that resides to the entire continuum, which is research. Clinical research and, and lots of different types of research that's being done. Uh, population health falls into this too, right? When we look at larger pop health initiatives, anything that where you have like a large group of people that you're trying to change some kind of either health outcome through behavior, through like a clinical trial, maybe you're applying, um, th- this is where pharma and medical device come into play too. They spend mm-hmm. a lot of time around this. And digital is used throughout all of this as well to convene, as we talked about, like patient communities we talk about yeah. you know like focus groups for people to, to talk about things well just uh, just from a data collection standpoint in a lot of cases or historically speaking and probably still is the case uh, depending on what type of research you're talking about 
but you physically had to be present, right? If you're going to participate in a study or you were going to run a study, you could only do that with local folks. So depending on exactly what you're talking about, digital allows you to, you know, bring in other organizations, other individuals, you know, from around the country, around the world, uh, and pull that data together, you know, in one place. Yeah, that's that big data. I mean, that's really important in healthcare, and it's becoming more and more of a thing that organiza- that large organizations, governments, cities are doing to really look at tracking overall health trends. And I mean, even we've even talked about Google as you know, and Google and Facebook are in this space tracking this kind of information to really try to be more informative to apply to all of the different, as you said, overarching the entire experience, the entire care pathway. That brings up an interesting point, uh, and I'm not sure if this fits or not, but I'll say I'll say it anyway. You start thinking you start thinking about like Google, for example, or, or even Facebook, but specifically Google as it relates to search. Um, you know, they're going to be a much better predictor of uh, the flu, for example, than your doctor's office, mm-hmm. right? Because they know who and where are typing in you know, flu symptoms or whatever, you know, around the country. And so they can follow that through the country and see how, especially seasonal type things, you know, may be affecting or making its way around the country or how bad it is, how bad is it compared to last year, et cetera. Obviously, the more data in one place becomes, you know, more and more powerful. And so they're the ones that can do that. And there are a lot of organizations that are spending time helping the healthcare industry in general with with collecting this data, trying to bring in, you know, predictive modeling. And that's where IBM Watson spends a lot of time here, right? Doing predictive modeling on large data sets. And really here right. it's ultimately the to kind of help ultimately using all of these different digital tools to help improve the quality outcomes. And I, I think, you know, we, we all know this, just but putting this framework together, maybe that was very helpful for us to talk about how digital is being used in this space. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. What I'd like to do now, Reid, if you're okay with, I'd like to talk about a, a really cool case study. And it was where Guys in Your Health, they did a, a online webinar where they were showing how they're using digital as a way to improve the overall patient experience. And they actually get some good outcomes from it. In order to go down this path, they had to do a couple of things. They had to build a framework. And one of the parts of the framework is to embrace consumerism at all levels. 
And they made a point to say here that consumerism, whenever you say consumerism, in particular in healthcare, you always throw it over to the marketing suite, right? Just, oh, marketing handles consumers. But what they said, one of the tenants they said is that consumerism is, has to be embraced through all departments. Everybody has to be focused in on making sure that you're optimizing for that experience and using consumeristic principles when you're designing operational systems. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, <clears throat> I mean, we say consumerism a lot. I'm not sure anybody really understands. I, I don't know. I, I feel like we've fallen in a trap using a lot of big words through the years and we don't really understand what that means. And we're not really equipped or understand like how to do that. Embracing consumerism at all levels. Well, what is, you know, what does that mean? Like, how do you, what is, what does that actually look like in action or practicality? Well, part of it, right, Reed, is you got to understand your, your customers. You got to understand what consumers are. Who are the consumers? Defining your audiences. And as we said about, mm-hmm. right, that this is not just audience being not just the patient, the actual patient seeking out care, right. but family members. It could be referring physicians. It could be community groups or business organizations in your community. You know, all of these things can can be your consumer and really having a good understanding of what what their needs are, what their interests are, and how they're consuming care, and then figuring out how to optimize around that. Now, we've done an episode, I think it was our second or third episode about consumerism way back when, but I think that that, that might lead to a whole other podcast topic that we can go into, what consumerism is, is like today. But you've got to understand that and embrace it at many levels. It's not just marketing anymore, right? It is everybody in the organization is, in effect, focusing on putting that consumer first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The second thing they talked about was prioritizing patient value. And we all know the, the patient value formula, so to speak. We've talked a lot about value-based care. Patient experience kind of falls dead in the middle of this formula. Patient value is described as, or sometimes expressed as, innovation and the impact of outcomes and patient experience over costs. You know, when you look at that, patient experience is written in there. So what does that mean from a digital perspective? Well, to Geisinger, what they had to do, they had to define where the digital experience actually occurs and then start mapping them to KPIs. They've had some good results, Reed, from this program. All right, so how, so how do you measure results from something like this? What, what does that look like? Well, well, there's one example that they gave. They implemented a system around patient experience managers. Now, you know those people that we have a list of those people, if you're having a problem, call this person at this hospital and they'll, you know, or call this person in patient experience and they'll kind of resolve that. Well, to them, that their system was always paper as well. They implemented some AI and some of this other technology into that space in order to help improve the patient experience team. And they saw some cool results. Let me me read some of the results that they have, and then you can later go back and take a look at the webinar and and hear it all in full from them. So by implementing this patient experience product, they call it proven experience, they saw a 23% increase in communications from the patient experience team. So they made them more efficient. Okay. They're able to now track requests for refunds, which is a monetary amount. And they're able to minimize that because what ultimately they're doing now is all that, that handling. Let's say someone has a problem with like their bill or something like that. Now they're giving them digital tools to help them improve that. They saw some results there. And ultimately what they're realizing is they're saving money, they're improving their productivity, and they're ultimately improving the patient experience. And again, that third one takes 
a little bit longer time to measure, but you know they they pick these other two KPIs sure. to really measure results. Very cool. And guess what they're doing now, Reed? They're now saying, oh, we have to now up our CRM and marketing automation skills for implementing some personalized <laughs> communication. They realize on the marketing end, they can improve that as well. So now they're applying all these same concepts and technologies. And this becomes now one of those snake, snake that eats its own tail. Now what they're right. doing is they're constantly innovation across the entire care pathway. I like it. That's very interesting. And again, we'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to get a little more detail around that particular case study. Challenges, however. Mm -hmm. So this is all good. This sounds interesting. Sounds good. So obviously, there's a lot of time and effort. You know, somebody's got to think this is a good idea. Somebody's got to spend a lot of time on it or people have to spend a lot of time on it. Past that, what are some of the challenges? Well, come on, Reed. This is easy, right? We're talking about, you know, it's as easy as putting up a website, right? I mean, this is stuff is really easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, there's a lot of challenges with this. I think one of the biggest things is in healthcare, as we've always talked about, we've built these silos in the way we do our processes and our structure. But what we've also done is we built sort of like cultural silos. And I know that others before interviews that we've had before have talked about how marketing should play a more active role in patient experience or a more active role in clinical care. Really, honestly, there's still a great divide between clinical application and communications and marketing. And it's sometimes hard. I, I, I've seen this in real life played out in front of me where doctors are just like, look, all you're good for is just to communicate. You just give me advice on that. Don't tell me how this data can improve my clinical outcomes or how my clinical care. We have to cross those, those chasms of communication. And we're not saying that marketers are going to become good doctors. That's not what they're here for. But there is a role to say for digital can help to improve the care pathways. Starting to have a more facilitated dialogue and maybe bring in new ideas. So you're telling me... There are silos in the hospital. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> so who owns this ultimately? Well, that's interesting, right? Because everybody, everybody talks about who owns it. You know, who's the ownership of this? And you know, I've heard now a couple of times over the last few weeks where organizations have said everybody owns this. And we know that if you mm. say that, right, it's really hard to maybe get direction. It's really hard to gain some kind of governance or maybe even get people talking on the same language. But I think the principle of it is right, right? I heard, you know, Cleveland Clinic says, we're all digital marketers that work here. But that means no one's a digital marketer. <laughs> so if, 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 if everybody owns it, nobody owns it, you know, kind of a thing. So ultimately at the end of the day, somebody has to own it. Some department, some person. Where does this go? We have to figure out a way to do this collaboratively because you can't, quite frankly, just create a silo department and say, okay, now you're patient experience and not have input from other pieces. You have to do that. I think patient experience and marketing are starting to get closer and closer together. There's still going to be someone that kind of is a spearhead within the organization to drive this and have that as like a multidisciplinary team underneath of them and making sure that all of those people are empowered and help them bring to the table their interests, their expectations, and then conversely be able to share back downwards into their organizations to start to improve and drive process change there. I think some of it is probably going to, depending on the size of the organization, you know, the roles that organization currently employs, 
you know, i.e. job titles. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to drive a lot of that. I think you're going to have a lot of dotted lines. So it's not so much that these people report to someone else. In my mind, somebody around patient experience is probably going to have to own this because that's ultimately what we're talking about and everything else is execution. So it's going to have to be a team effort, much like you know, we've talked about you need to have like a social media governance committee, you know, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how I see this structured in my mind based on you know, your average, you know, regional hospital. There are some organizations where the CEO has taken it upon himself to become the new quote unquote Steve Jobs or whatever, you know, put it, fill in the blank of your, who your patient experience or your customer experience person is, but really kind of trying to spearhead and drive this. But I think it's going to take a collective team. There can't be just one person owning it or, you know, four or five people in the organization owning it. There has to be a way that you could use through change management techniques, through, you know, building building partnerships to have someone create like sort of the milestone, the North Star where you want to go towards, but then develop a coalition of people to kind of help achieve those goals. And then, you know, obviously you have to understand two audiences, your different audiences that you're talking about, because every audience has a different type of goal. So we're now, now we're not just talking about the health seekers, the patients, the family members, that sort of thing. We got multiple other audiences that we are trying to address. And, you know, you've got your own staff members, mm-hmm. got, you know, physicians, you know, potentially EMS, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how your organization is structured. You've got uh, mid-levels like uh, PAs and NPs. You've got, you know, other clinical staff like, you know, nurses, therapists, dietitians, athletic trainers, some of which are your employees, some maybe not. You know, they're, they're more like a physician could be contractually practicing at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And then you've mentioned folks like patients and family members and, and those types of things. I think that ultimately what you're trying to do here is we're all doing the same thing as we top the show up by saying this is all about changing the way we provide return on health. And I think I think digital really plays a role in that. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! Now it's the time that we're going to face off on a particular type of topic. I think, Reed, since we've been talking a lot about return on health today, and we've been talking about digital, it really begs the question of, is it hard or impossible to measure return on health through digital? So explicitly tied digital to ROA, yeah, it it is virtually impossible. Like, I I don't think there's any way that you can say, I think you can make some, you know, some loose correlations or whatever, but 
Um, no, you, you can't you can't tie digital dollars or digital activity to actual ROH. Okay, so what we're getting down to, I guess, is we're arguing the causal impact of digital versus the correlated impact of digital. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, but e- even at that, I still think it's hard to make that direct line between the two. All right, so I'm going to vehemently disagree with you. I think there are ways that you can actually do a tracking of digital specifically to return on health. So one of the ways that we can measure it as we're becoming more and more digitized and we've built systems at our health system to be able to measure patients further down the pathway, there's enough data now that we can actually draw statistical significance, which actually has a direct causal result of showing if you do things from an experience perspective, if you if you do things from a digital perspective and you do it right, that you can actually positively influence health and health outcomes. So I struggle with, first off, how we're actually defining return on health or kind of what that, like what that measurement even looks like and then how you tie digital to said measurement. Again, I think you can say overall, we've done all these things as an organization and we're seeing improved scoring in these areas, but then to subset that down to digital, I'm not sure is possible. Well, sure, you can look at digital as a way to maybe offset costs associated with engaging in the same type of activity. So like year over year, there's population health or community health initiatives that are going on, and if you implement some of the systems and tools that are digitally enabled that provide decision support, make things a little bit more efficient, then all of a sudden you can see your pop health, community health folks start to start to do more with less time and right there is a, is a direct measurement on return on health because what's going on is they're able to intercede and be more effective and and reach more people so that's a good correlation yeah i still think though that because of the way digital is executed it, it, you could tie those dollars to a number of different things and so return on health is potentially a, you know, kind of a roll-up metric in my mind. Like I, I still don't see how you tie, you know, increased activity on this digital channel to then, you know, correlate that with, you know, these, these outcome scores. I think, that's, I think that's really hard because I think even from that messaging standpoint, that's not anything that we've historically held out as being, you know, digital, at least not digital marketing. I get it. I, I get it. And I understand your struggle with return on health as being defined because it really is hard to define that. You have to develop KPIs. You have to develop ways that you can actually say, I'm going to be measuring this specific thing. And quite frankly, when you're doing data models around this in, in this way, you have to be very careful to isolate all other variables so you can test one particular instance. But if you can do that, and which many organizations have, for example, I know one health system that did a, a teen pregnancy outreach through SMS to a at-risk population. They, they did a, a, a controlled study measuring one particular factor, which is the decrease in teen pregnancies in this particular community. And when we talk about teens, we're talking about 18 or under, right, teen pregnancies. And they were able to find a statistical yeah. significant correlation after they implemented this SMS program than when before. So right there, I think that actually has um, a direct correlation that you can measure. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's kind of a moving target. So it's not, it's not quite as black and white as like, Hey, 
you know, we can measure this by doing more of this. Like it's not, it's not, everybody can't do the same thing and have the same, you know, same outcomes and things like that. Like you could an AdWords campaign. I think, yes, you can probably get there, but I'm not sure you can. I think every organization has to spend a lot of time on it trying to put these pieces together, if that makes sense. Well, I agree with what you're saying, Reed. It's hard to do. It's hard to measure. But here's the point that I'm, I'm trying to get at. Organizations have to measure. And if you have to implement a particular system, prioritize your KPIs, measure what you have to do. You're never going to get the 100% pure measurement of ROH. You're just going to have to eat away at it one chunk at a time to get there. Fair enough. I, again, I think this is something we need to think about and we need to get comfortable with and figure out, you know, where does this go? This all just goes back to kind of that idea of marketing needs to be closer to operations and everything else within the organization. But, uh, and this is just one of those growing pains. It's the drum we keep beating, right? Welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of the podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dave Dalton with Doc ASAP. Dave, um, I'm going to let you do a little introduction to yourself, but uh, Dave and I have gotten to know each other online just recently, and we've started to have some really good conversations and have come to grow and respect his insights into the marketplace. Dave, thank you for being part of our podcast today. Thanks, Chris. It is awesome to be talking with you again and, and to be a part of what you're doing here. I think it's I think it's a fantastic podcast whose time has come. Uh, well, thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks so much. Dave, um, why don't you tell the, uh, the listeners a little bit about your background? You know, what brought you to where you're at now uh, before we jump into our conversation? I think a lot, like a lot of people in in our business of healthcare, we, we sometimes come at it from personal experiences. And I'm not unique in that. Certainly a number of years ago, I had a, I uh, went through a really in, in tough health scare and I found myself very frustrated with my inability to navigate digitally at the time. And there were tons of digital tools out there available, but this was in some of the early stages of it. But at the same time, I was also involved tangentially in the business. And I wanted to spend more time thinking about patient engagement and access to care. And so I've gently pivoted what I've done for a living into that into that space. Right, right. Which brings you to where you're at now. Tell us a little bit about what you do at Doc ASAP. I spent a lot of time thinking externally about our relationships with healthcare systems, large medical groups, uh, distributed networks of uh, clinicians, and how they really want to achieve a much more of a streamlined access to care between patients, between this nexus of patients, clinicians, and payers. As we know the industry and we know the insides of the industry on the back end, many organizations, providers themselves are being held to a much higher quality outcome, which poses a bit of a unique challenge to people going online searching for care, because quite frankly, we want to optimize that experience to support a good experience that ultimately derives to a good quality outcome. I think of it in terms of quality in, quality out. Value-based care or quality-based care is clearly here. It's upon us. When I, when I sit down with an individual doc, a friend of mine, or a patient, or a system C-suite executive of a large national healthcare system, or even a distributed network in uh, of orthopedics across the state, they understand it's here, it's here, and it's now. And so why not focus on improving that on the back end by 
doing a better job of empowering the patient on the front end of care, as I call it, or front door of care. I've even heard it called the front porch of care, which is this notion of search and then pivoting into the relationship with the with the clinician or the system through simple scheduling. So where does quality fit into that? Well, I think quality, if you can let me riff on this for a minute, I think mm-hmm. quality is generated by the by the user experience in many ways. So the quality of, of your relationship with your bank, with your, you know, any anything where you have uh, both a, a physical and a digital relationship. Um, we've Everybody's talking about the consumers and the healthcare and how it relates to other industries, retail, banking, et cetera, et cetera. You always have to balance it and look at it and say, well, healthcare is different. It's significantly different for a reason. It is the most important decision. And you think about it, well, you think about it really two times, one when you're paying for it, and one when you need it the most, right? So let's focus on when you need it. <clears throat> Why not establish that sort of point of entry that gives a really high quality user experience, which immediately delivers a trust in the experience, which results in a more educated, more trustworthy patient who's going to walk into that care seeking better outcomes for themselves. It's the idea of participatory medicine all thrown in here. I'm, I know I'm going in a lot of different directions, but to hone in on that that point of entry that can generate trust is one of the most important things we can do in order to improve the outcomes on the back end, both the star ratings, the clinical outcomes, and uh, quite frankly, healthier patients. When you talk about that, you're hitting on a fundamental core of user experience or usability, which is really having that connection with the person that's interacting with that online experience and mirroring that to the to the actual overall experience that they're going to have with your brand. Or, you know, and I've also, in parallel, have read studies. If people have a good healthcare experience with their provider, that they tend to be more compliant and actually have better outcomes. What you're talking about here seems like we're marrying together now digital with clinical care in a, in a significant way. Absolutely. I think a way of looking at it is to think about this array of digital tools that marketers have, healthcare marketers have available to them. And what's a healthcare marketer's challenge? It's to grow the enterprise. It's to grow the financial outcomes of the of the enterprise, whether it's a system or a medical group. And at the same time, it's to increase the experience that that patient has and all the various touch points that they experience with whatever that clinical enterprise is. And, and as you just said, there's study after study after study. I don't care if it's Accenture or if it's uh, Pew or, or Deloitte. They're all pointing to this factor of the consumerism healthcare means that the patient is, is consuming what they see as a way of giving them more trust in the fact that they're placing their, their care in the hands of this provider. And it's sometimes because we're so mobile, in many cases, uh, and because the, the payers are switching around on us, these are new relationships that people are entering into. Whether you're a millennial and you're going into new care for the first time, really into a relationship, or whether you're starting to manage multiple chronic conditions in your 40s, your 50s, or whatever it is, you have to take new pathways. Let's use these digital marketing tools as a way to help these systems better engage upfront and develop a better level of trust. So I'm, I'm an optimist. I always see things, you know, glass half full, but with an eye on what could go wrong. There's always those instances where you learn from the situations where you, you see, and you guys have talked about this on, on the show before, you know, when a patient calls a call center, uh, maybe it's answered. Yeah, hopefully it's answered, the, you know, the phone. Maybe they're not on hold for too long. Uh, sometimes they are. Maybe that person can actually at the call center can can schedule, can actually help that patient through. Sometimes not. That shouldn't happen. 
Now, we have too many digital tools to be able to utilize technology so that that pathway is made seamless. In every other industry, they they really use the touch points and the, the intersections of, of that customer experience, be it online or offline or whatever it may be, to actually ultimately start to measure the, the quality of that relationship that, that that person may have with the brand. In healthcare, it, it one-ups one it, you know. it's we're, What we're talking about here is an improved quality outcome. Do you have some examples of organizations that maybe are doing this at a level that they're actually starting to see some good uh, results from improving that front-end experience? Yeah, there's from simple to complex, absolutely. Just in, in what we're doing now, for example, there's a piece just recently published by Ron Bar- Dr. Ron Barg at Penn, where he talks about using these kind of digital marketing tools to motivate patients to be a better patient. That's that's the point. He articulates it much better than I was I was trying to a few minutes ago. But that's the point I was trying to make. It's let's use what is available out there that seamlessly interacts between and connects between the patient and the, and ultimately the system's EHR and that provider schedule, for example, to allow for a much more motivated patient. So. On a simple example of that is go, go through a FIDADOC feature on a, you know, healthcaresystem.org and instead of being presented with, uh, well, I can request an appointment or I can email somebody or I can make a phone call, which is fine, why not just immediately book online and then walk through a high quality customer experience that is simple, it stays on a site, it builds trust every single step of the way with a couple of decisions that you have to make until you feel like, okay, they know what they're doing. That's great. Just like I, when I take a picture of my check and deposit mm-hmm. it in my bank account, I trust that they, they're not going to do anything nefarious with that. So if that ease of high quality user experience is done in healthcare, it translates into that much more motivated patient who's more likely to show up, who's much more likely to fill out the forms online, and quite frankly, then take their meds. And yes, the studies have shown that. This has a, a financial implication on the health system as well. Isn't that true? In a huge way. So the financial implication is to lower costs of the delivery of higher quality care. That is ultimately what we're all trying to do. It's outlined in a triple aim. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of bringing high quality introduction into this pathway of care. So a more complex example could be a healthcare system that has our solution embedded into their interaction through a payer relationship. In, in that case, a Medicare Advantage patient will call a call center on the, the number on the back of her card, and she has a question about benefits, for example. Uh, she might be asking about uh, if anything's changed in her, in her schedule of what she should be doing. Well, the call center representative is really empowered now to bring that patient into much more of a uh, uh, patient centered home. And so they now can actually take the step to schedule that patient immediately from that touch point. So we're talking about a different demographic set that's more complex than the you know 25-year-old who just wants to schedule an appointment from their phone. This is now a Medicare Advantage patient who's doesn't maybe she's not really sure of, of the schedule of her annual wellness visits. Well, the call center rep can actually see she's Guess what? She's six months behind in AWV. So now the call center rep can say, Ms. Andrews, is Dr. Jones your primary care doc? Yes, yes. Well, I can schedule you for next Tuesday at 9. Does that work? Can you get a ride there? And maybe can I get an Uber to get you there if you can't get a ride there? Boom, it's done. And then that Medicare Advantage patient gets an email to confirm it. And we've closed some gaps in care. 
We've lowered some costs on the payer side. We've uh, added that visit to that provider and that provider's overhead doesn't have to go towards chasing down this patient and the patient gets better, better care because she's now uh, in for care next week as opposed to waiting another six months. The pathways to care that are made more streamlined through that kind of use of technology, it seems simple and it is, it's working and more and more people need to be doing it than they are. You know, it speaks to something that that I fundamentally feel, and it feels, and it sounds like you do too, which is digital should be made as to complement our everyday lives and make the normal tasks that we do to, to make that a little bit more easier on us. Uh, and a lot of times we, we have a negative opinion about digital tools because of our experience with those digital tools. We think of it as like a, a not good experience and we kind of blanket that across health systems or blanket across whatever industry, right? Or in Equifax or whatever it may be, right? Right, uh, <laughs> You know, exactly. <laughs> this is not only something that's fundamentally important for the health system to transform, and it's it has great costs. It ultimately is serving a higher purpose, which is that improving that patient access to quality care. I could not agree with you more. And, that, and again, it goes back to the beginning of what what we were talking about. I have so much fun doing what I do because, at the end of the day, while I'm improving the the outcomes of our business, obviously our client partners on the system side, what we're ultimately doing is actually improving care for their patient population or their member population and for their providers. I think we're shift, We're seeing a significant shift and, and trend towards a much more optimistic approach towards utilizing these digital marketing tools to achieve what we're talking about here. I, gone are the days when uh, you know, and and I'm only talking like two years ago when I might sit in front of a uh, clinical lead at a at a re- regional sized system, who would say, no, 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 you know, I don't, I, we're we're fine, we don't need to sort of improve access to care this way. Th- those conversations are very very few now. And what's happening is the clinic clinical lead, the quality lead, the uh, access to care leads are all. Uh, they're all leaning in at the table and saying, gee, what's out there that we can use to actually help us achieve some of these goals that we now, because we know on the back end, we're all getting compensated on quality care. So let's look towards the front end toward to, to be able to bring these patients in, new patients, existing patients, uh, referrals, friends of patients, whatever it may be, but let's let's bring them in through this pathway of trust. So yeah, I get a little, I get a little excited about it because it is so much fun because you ultimately can see the the work that you do as you said, you know, go towards a higher outcome. And that is often some of the biggest inhibitors in adopting to technology is getting that clinical alignment and buy-in, quite frankly. And then that's kind of exciting to hear that even, uh, you know, the physicians where sometimes, you know, they, they do complain about, oh, I hate using my EMR, I hate using this, whatever, that they're actually starting to see a lot of value with um, providing these types of solutions. That sounds pretty exciting. We've, we've gotten to the point where everybody understands the EHR is here to stay, value-based care is here to stay. Now, now let's just get everything work to, working together through the implementation of, of relatively inexpensive ways of, of actually getting everything to work together and be smarter about it. So does that mean we've reached a tipping point? I don't know. Uh, but I think we're, we're just about there, if not past that tipping point of the what I call sometimes the interoperability of patient engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in this consumerism of healthcare today, that's, that's where we are, right? Do you think that um, the organization or the industry will be at a point where they'll they'll be embracing this much more? It'll just become you know something that they don't even think about anymore because now it's 
you know, de facto. What do you think it's going to be in the future here? There's a really interesting Accenture study from just last year in 2016 that points out that uh, just in the simple business of online appointment scheduling, or what I prefer to call digital appointment scheduling, uh, I think it said 90% of the major healthcare systems will be utilizing it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about epic open scheduling or, you know, only through the portal or something like that, but actually pathways that are simple and easy to use. Not an app, not a marketplace, nothing you have to download, but it's just a simple way of going in. The study showed, and Accenture, if you haven't seen it, they do annual studies on the patient experience in healthcare. And this last one basically said, if you're not doing it, then you ought to be looking at it. And they're, they're speaking to, obviously, healthcare uh, system executives. Three to five years from now, we're going to be at a point where consumerism is going to, to have reached, a, I think, a, a significant point where patients are really going to be uh, given much more permission to be able to enter that point of care in a higher quality way than they, than they do now. I still see the obstacles out there. I still see people that are frustrated. I still see healthcare system executives that are frustrated that they can't get stuff to work together. And patients are frustrated because they, they were on hold for seven minutes. And so three to five years from now, I think we're going to be at a point where uh, we're seeing some things that we haven't seen yet. But I think we're going to see not the patient in charge, but the patient and the clinician and the payer, that nexus of healthcare, all working a little bit uh, much more seamlessly together. I have to say, I really enjoyed this this talk. It, you know, people listening in, um, if they want to get a hold of you online, they want to learn a little bit more about you and DocASAP, what's the best way for them to do that? You can find our website, uh, DocASAP.com. That's D-O-C-A-S-A-P. And find a link that says for healthcare systems. And that gives you a front and center look at, at how we work with you, your partners, or whoever it may be. You can find me on Twitter, Dave Dolton, D-O-L-T-O-N. I tend to uh, spend a lot of time on things related to access to care and digital marketing and sometimes mm -hmm. baseball. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn. So, Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Dave. Chris, has been great. Thank you. Here we are at the end of another episode. And so before we get to recommendations, just a quick, uh, just a quick reminder that Chris and I will be at the Healthcare Internet Conference here in Austin, Texas, October 23rd through the 25th. I will actually be recording an episode of Touchpoint on that Tuesday afternoon, so keep an eye out for that. It'll actually be on your agenda and, and part of the schedule if you're attending. If not, head over to hcic.net. Make sure you are... Uh, you're in attendance. Looks to be a good crowd, a good group. Let's do some recommendations. What do you got? All right, Reed, I'm going to recommend an old tried and true digital tool that I use. And it's been proving very valuable to me over the last, uh, I don't know, it's always been valuable to me, but I've just noticing the greatness of it. What I'm talking about is Google Drive. Yes, our good old-fashioned Google Drive, the ability to, have to put online collaborative documents, Excel spreadsheets, even presentations you can create online. Why I'm really enjoying it recently, Reed, is because I am spending a lot of time collaboratively making documents both pro professionally and also personally, where we're sharing information, we're, we're transferring information, we're able to collaborate, even when these two people are distant from one another. And what, when I say distant, I mean geographically distant from one another. Or, or emotionally distant, you know. In this particular instance that I'm going to give you, though, the example I'm going to give you, we're not emotionally oh, distant. Okay. My fiance and I have been spending a lot of time using Google Drives to, uh, and, and the connectivity of Google Drives to various different things, like your Gmail accounts and, and et cetera, to really 
coordinate plan activities, you know, create uh, spreadsheets of wedding attendees, you know, all of this other stuff. We're less than two weeks away from our wedding as we record this. And, you know, I've just over the weekend found a lot of value. And I just want to say thank you, Google Drive, for being there. I recommend everybody have access to it. And if your IT department doesn't give you access to it, you better tell them you should because this is a really great collaborative tool. And if they don't give you access still, then just go AWOL and get a Gmail account and do it on your own on the guest Wi-Fi. No, don't really do that. Well, actually, that's up to you. I don't care if you do it or not. But um, that is a great recommendation. Mine is also old. And you can find this in a number of sizes or manufacturers. But I am recommending uh, the Rubik's Cube. Mm-hmm. The right. Rubik's Cube. The Rubik's Cube. My daughter got one not too long ago. For some reason, I can't remember why she ended up with this Rubik's Cube. But in any case, I have now successfully mastered the ability to solve two-thirds of it within a minute. Um, And I'm working on where I can actually solve a Rubik's Cube, which is uh, check that off the list of uh, life skills that don't make me any money. But it's been a lot of fun. And so there's some algorithms that you can learn to solve it in a certain order. And uh, so I'm working my way through that. Now, you, you may not recall this, Reed, but way back at uh, the episode when we were at the forum, wasn't it Matt Gov that recommended the Rubik's Cube as well? Oh, that's right. Somebody recommended puzzles in general and then maybe specified a Rubik's Cube or something like that. Well, I'm, I'm re, re-recommending uh, specific, specifically the Rubik's Cube. I don't, care, I don't care about all the other puzzles. Just one quick question. Do you go out to the YouTube... Uh, videos to to get little tips and tricks or you're figuring it out on your own there from everything i've read there is an actual algorithm to and you you have to go in a certain order um and so everybody apparently has kind of agreed that this is kind of the way you solve a rubik's cube at least a three by three now i know there's different size rubik's cubes uh, but the traditional kind of three by three rubik's cube and so there is a particular website that will kind of walk you through each of those steps I can do I can do about two thirds of it, and then it gets really complicated. So what a great recommendation, Reed. I like it. Um, I'm I, everybody's been talking about Rubik's cube. I think I need to go out and get one. All right. Well, another another great episode. Be sure if you if you will go out to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us, uh, connect with us on all the uh, the social medias out there on the tweeters and the Facebooks and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we look forward to uh, connecting with you online and hopefully hearing from you and you listening next week. So he is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>